Welcome to the Leadership Playbook. My name is Emily Hawkins. How I used to introduce myself is, I have 15 years in supply chain, creating and leading teams, streamlining processes, managing millions of dollars. Except that's not what I do anymore. I'm a career and life coach. And I wanna take you on the journey of how to lead yourself, how to take your career to the next level, whatever that may be. I'm gonna give you tangible advice on exactly how to do what you want to do. Lead and love your life. Today, I cannot wait to introduce you to someone that I've followed on LinkedIn for several years, game changer in this space in terms of company culture, runs a company called Culture of Good, has books and speaks religiously. And I actually scored an interview with him because his schedule got cleared of speaking events because of the coronavirus. So I was really excited to get a chance to sit down with Ryan McCarty, and I'm going to share that with you. If you want to know more about him, you're going to hear in the show notes Uh, I'm going to lay out some things for you, but also you're going to hear from his own mouth different ways that you can get involved with what he does, how he works. And again, I'm so excited that I got to meet the brother from another mother that you're going to hear me say. Um, I definitely had a fangirl moment because this guy is a game changer in this space. And when you have two people that believe the same ideas, you go to church, man. So we are definitely going to do that today. So if you are ready for some positivity, then this is your jam. I won't make you wait any longer. Check this out. All right. Welcome to Leadership. And today I feel so honored to have Ryan McCartney with us because I have been following this guy on social media for years. And I really feel like he's a brother from another mother because he believes the same types of things that I have created in my community, which is bringing your soul to work. This is really his battle cry. And if you really want to get inspired and have just two seconds of your day, I think it's like a minute and a half. He has this amazing sizzle reel on his LinkedIn profile that will get you so fired up about being yourself at work. And without further ado, I want to introduce Ryan McCarty. How are you today? Awesome, Emily. Thank you so much for asking. We are um, secured here in our condo in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. And awesome. staying away from people. <clears throat> even, our, even our kids are in their own little places downtown. So we're, we're feeling healthy and safe and, and doing well. How are That's you? Awesome. Awesome. We are the same. I'm, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I have okay. two kids. I'm homeschooling as well. I'm adding to my resume that I'm a homeschool professor currently. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Not really sure if I'm going to get tenured though. Um, <laughs> kind of dicey right now, but uh, yeah, everybody's doing well and we're lucky that we can go outside because we have a big yard and we've been yeah. doing like, sidewalk talk and that kind of thing, but oh, yeah, we're nice. good. Yeah, that's nice. We've been we've been taking our daily walks and doing workouts and doing our best to stay very active. I think yeah. staying active and keeping your mind and body moving and not just, you know, just sitting and sulking is really important right now. So I yeah. couldn't agree more. I've done on-demand workouts since my daughter was born, which actually was 8 years ago tomorrow. Oh, wow. And um it was hard for me to get out and so I felt like, "Oh my gosh, I've been training for this moment for a while." <laughs> yeah. And uh every morning I have to get that workout in before the kids get up because that's my sanity check. So I totally agree with you on that completely. Yeah, that's cool. I like the idea of having a sanity check. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, I was thinking about, well, are you cool with me just talking? Oh, yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, sweet. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking this morning, we um, years ago, I was speaking and I did this whole like three minute freak out. So the idea was that you give yourself instead of saying every day, you know what, don't freak out, stay positive the whole day you know, don't say anything negative. I, I think I, I like the idea around that, but it's just not real. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to freak out. So yes. what, what I was teaching is these incremental freak outs. Uh, once or twice a day, you have three minutes where you can just say, 
whatever you need to say. You can release whatever you need to release. You can totally freak out, but you time yourself. So you really set a timer. It's amazing when you freak out intentionally, how sometimes it, it feels great, but also towards the end, you're like, this was a little ridiculous, you know, but when you're, when you're freaking out and you're, lo you know, you're losing your deep breath and you're just, you know, you start to get into that almost like a hyperventilation, like it's just like you're just breathing really fast and, and out of control. It just builds. And so the three minute freak out is something I was just thinking about, like I said, this morning that was really interesting because, you know, there's ways of doing that and, and methodologies around it. But one of the ways is you have like pieces of paper that just say three minute freak out and you have them in a jar really high up on a, on a cabinet. And so in order to freak out, you have to pull a ladder out. You have to go over to the cabinet. You have to climb the ladder, get the three minute freak out. And then once you have that in your hand, then, then, you know, once you pull one of those three minute freak out papers, then you could just freak out for three minutes, but it takes a lot to have to like get the ladder out and do all that stuff. So Oh, I love the intentionality of that though, yeah. because then you're like permission, but let me like set the stage and all of that. Yeah. I call it embrace the suck. And I agree with you entirely. Yeah. I give myself two additional minutes. So maybe okay, I'm like minute. a lot. <laughs> awesome. And I set a timer. Like I yeah, literally, yeah. if I'm in my kitchen That's or awesome. somewhere and I, um, I actually believe there, I'm going to give you some, some ways that I personally freak out. They're my favorite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> screaming in your car, but making sure that you're not near anyone because you right. don't want to like alarm people, which right now is a great time because you're probably not near a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, throwing things is incredibly mm -hmm. therapeutic. Again, not at people. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a crucial kind of component you need to add in there, like not at people. Yes, not <laughs> at people. Throwing things not at people. Right. Um, and then I also love writing a letter a hate letter to someone right. and it can be a thing too like dear coronavirus you know right. that way mm, and cool. you can write it on your computer you can write it in a google doc you can actually you know put it in an email or whatever you're right. never going to send it though and if you write mm. it on a piece of paper you're going to throw it away when you're done and i loved what you said about the ridiculousness of it because that's exactly what happens and again, maybe I'm a slow learner. I need like minute four is where I'm like, this is ridiculous, but it helps me. And I use expletives and whatever else. And I yeah. talk about all these things. And one of my friends is actually um, an assistant principal and she, okay. I have a blog post about this. And she told me the most amazing story about, she read that blog post and ended up sharing it with her high school students. She's, she's in a middle school now, but when I wrote this, she was a high school AP. And yeah. there was this girl that had been raped and mm. had become pregnant mm. and she gave her this and the girl was like, wait, I can be mad. Mm, like it's yeah, okay to be yeah. mad. And yeah. so when you said that, I love that because I agree. I think there's this whole, oh no, we all, we should find the positive. And yes, right. of course we should, but it is okay to be upset for a few minutes a day and blame everyone and everything yep. and then move above the line and kind of have that so yeah I we, love, I love we have to we have to it's like a pressure cooker if you don't release that pressure mm -hmm. you know that's kind of how it is you know and and you know there's there's realities around like you said to staying positive but one of the ways to stay positive is to recognize also truth that is happening i i shot a video yesterday i don't know when i'm gonna come out with it but it's all about like going from this lens of fear to a lens of faith but not faith in the sense of religion or anything but just faith in the sense of having hope and possibility right now but between those two like perspectives of fear and faith is fact right it's like yes. facing your truth you can't just like walk around saying all is well like you you have to face those facts of what you're doing and i think that goes back to what you talked about earlier is bringing your soul to work mm -hmm. today work looks like bringing your soul to home mm -hmm. uh, 
and working from home, working remotely, you know, which is in the, you know, that is a lot of people's realities before all of this, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are in a new reality and this is a new normal that's beginning for them. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't know how long that's going to last, but there's, so there's a lot of unknowns that can bring that fear, but what are the things that we do know? Like, what are, what are those things? And, and it's okay to face truth and it's okay to freak out and it's okay to be angry and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to freak out. Yeah. To, to really embrace all of that and knowing that there's no right or wrong way of feeling. Now I'm pretty it's, sure I know your answer on this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, as a leader right now, and it doesn't matter when I say the term leader, I want to be, I want to define that a little bit. It could be that you're leading a team of three people. It could be that you're leading a, a department. It could be that you're leading the entire organization. What are your feelings around how to lead through uncertainty right now? Yeah. So I would start by saying that leadership starts with self. Mm -hmm. right? right from the very beginning, self-leadership. I actually uh, spent the last couple of years writing um, a leadership curriculum called 12-Week Leader, and it's all about self-leadership, that the most challenging person or entity that you're going to lead ever is going to be you. So yeah. it really starts with that self-leadership, because if not, you know, if, if you're just trying to manage your emotions or manage your time or manage your team right now, what, what we're really needing are our true authentic leaders to step up, not managers. And so, you know, most of us manage our life. Uh, we manage our emotions, we manage our money, we manage, but we, we never get to a place where we're really leading, yeah. um, leading ourselves well. Um, and that means, that means really being intentional um, and mm -hmm. very observant to self and knowing what we need first. It's the oxygen mask in the plane that drops from the ceiling. Again, you put it on yourself first. Before you can help others, you have to be in a, a state of mind and emotion and health in order to help others. I used to say all the time that the, the health of an organization is really dependent on the health of its leadership. That if, we, that if we have unhealthy leadership, there's no chance of having a healthy organization. And so that means whether everyone's gathering together, you know, working collectively together in the same space, or we're decentralized and we're all in our own little pockets of our homes working, um, leadership is leadership, you know, regardless of what the context looks like. And so you know, right now our teams really need us to first lead ourselves well. And then for those leaders that are listening in to, to really, you know, be vulnerable with our teams and, and honest and, and open about what we're facing ourselves and what the organization that we're leading is facing. And it's definitely not a time to kind of sugarcoat mm -hmm. and, and act like everything's going to, you know, just continue to move forward. But I think, again, like that lens of, of fact, like, we can't, our people can't get to a place that we're leading to a place of faith until we all collectively face truth. Mm -hmm. And some of those truths are really difficult to face right now. But the moment we face truth and the moment we put on that lens of fact, then we can move to faith, which isn't, which isn't beyond fact. All it is is saying, here's fact, but here's the hope and possibility yeah. that comes along with that. And and, um, you know, I, I think, I think for, you know, I, hopefully that answered your question, but I think it really starts with that self-leadership and then beyond that, it moves to being able to lead others really well from out of that as it's cultivated in oneself. First. I couldn't agree more. And I know you have children and I have children as well. And nowhere is that more prevalent than with them, right? Because you yeah. can say, like, you can sit them in a chair and give them some grandiose speech about life but they are watching you and what you do every day. And yeah. my children know, for instance, that if they get up while I'm in the midst of my workout, you are not interrupting me because I have to get that done. And I've always called it my oxygen mask. Mm. And now I see them you know, modeling that. And honestly, right now as a family, we don't know. You know, yeah. 
And yeah. so we're not telling our children, if you go outside, you're going to die or something, which is, you know, right, crazy. Right, right. there's no pandemic. And we, we are not one of those people that have bought up a million supplies. We did not do that because it doesn't really solve anything. Right. And um, I'm noticing that my children are embracing their creativity and all of that because we are doing that. You know, we're just, we're, we're not sugarcoating. We're talking about why they can't see their friends. We're talking about what's going on currently. And, but we're not to the point of, you know, talking about anything crazy. And, and so I agree with you, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways. And, and as a business owner, it's the same way, right? Because yeah. I have many clients, everyone keeps asking me because <clears throat> I write resumes for people. I update yeah. LinkedIn profiles and I'm a career coach. So everybody's been asking me what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know, I love your fact and faith piece. I am very clear with if anybody tells you they have the answer right now, run the other way because it's just not. And so I'm just like you and there are facts that we know, right? Many businesses are on pause. That's a fact right now. My faith tells me that this is going to make us stronger, that this is going to make everyone look harder at the impact they want to make and decide, am I in the right place to do that? Yeah, yeah. And if it, if I'm not, then I'm going to move on. And the only thing you control, back to you, back to what you were saying, is yourself. And to me, that's, are you going to hit the apply button for a job that's out there? It might take months to hear back, but yeah. you're in control of hitting apply. You're in control of writing that resume and deciding what path you want to take. And now's the time to do it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I don't know about you, but I bet on me hundred percent of the time. I'm not right. worried about the market or the government or whatever right. else, you know, the stimulus package, which so glad that these things are in place. I'm not downplaying those, but at the end of the day, I, I bet on me and my yeah. choices and my decisions. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, my, my, your uh, kids are uh, quite younger than mine. We, we have a 27 and a 22 year old. Oh, wow. But, but <laughs> yeah. that's a volatile time too, because they're in that young, starting out your career phase. Yeah, that exactly can be right. scary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, both of them went back to college to finish up some more of their degree. And so they're both college students. They both make money online, thankfully, because a lot of their work can continue. They're not missing a lot of that um, income that they've needed through this time, just in terms of survival. But we got a, we got a call from our 22 year old Brenna yesterday and she was just thanking my wife and I for, you know, the example that we've set through this time and and before and the self work that we've done exactly what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are watching and I would say it this way, our employees are watching. Yes. You know, they're, they're watching what leaders do in this moment, what we say, how we conduct ourselves. And then again, this isn't presenting this false narrative of all is well and nothing's ever going to, you know, but, but, as leaders, if we're able to be vulnerable with the truth and, and open enough to speak about that truth um, and, and then add hope and a good perspective toward that and possibility, then uh, again, our employees are watching what comes out of our mouth, they're watching our actions. Um, and I, I think that's really crucial right now because we, we more than ever in this moment really need leaders to step up and and to set the example of what what it means to live within crisis and what it means to live and and I've, i talked to someone yesterday i said it's it's not as if um we don't always live in the unknown already <clears throat> this was a massive unexpected unknown that's a collective experience that's that's abnormal to a global reality Mm-hmm. But within business, within life and work, there's always uncertainty. You know, there's businesses out there in the last six months before all this happened that a deal didn't go through and they didn't know how they were going to pay their employees six months ago. Right. How, how did we survive that? Well, mm-hmm. however we survived that and did well through that moment, I, I can guarantee you would be reflective upon how we can do the same thing now. We're not without power. We're not without 
faith. We're not without the resource and the ability to move past this and actually excel through it and grow through it as well, as you were talking about. This is, though, a major opportunity for people to take a step back and pause and say, you know, do I really love what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. You know, is it lighting my fire? Am I passionate about it? Do, do, am I seeing that my contribution in this world matters beyond a paycheck? Because it's moments like this that we realize that, yeah, sure, in business, we have to be profitable. And yes, when we work, we need a paycheck. But those are givens. That's not, that's not what we live for. That gives us the ability to sustain life, but not to really live. Okay. To really live and be alive, we have got to do what gives it, what sparks that fire in us, what gives us that breath inside of our soul, um, that we, at the end of the day, regardless of what we went through, the difficulties and the ups and downs and the stressors and all of that, and that looks different today than it maybe did a few weeks ago, but regardless of what we're going through, at the end of the day, we have that sense of fulfillment that we did well and that our contribution made a difference. It made an impact. And that's, that's really, you know, it's your message. It's my message. It's definitely a, a moment right now where we can pause and, and reflect and say, am I where I should be, where my greatest passion and my greatest contribution are colliding together to make the world better? Um, you know, that, that to me is like, let's make that collision happen right now. Passion and contribution. So I have a question for you because this happens pretty much 95% of the people I work with. This is where we go. So I say, what would you be doing if mm. money was not an object? Yeah. And they always go nonprofit on me, you yeah. know? Oh, I'd be saving the whales. I would be, you know, working for a nonprofit, you know, group doing X, Y, Z. And I always say, and, and I've noticed that this has started to show up in social media as well. Love Mr. Rogers. I think he's amazing. And he said when he was a kid that his mother would say when something bad was happening on the news, find the helpers. Because where there's helpers, there's hope. But guess what? All of us are helpers. Yeah. yeah and yeah. your version of help could be doing taxes for someone. Yeah. Your version of help could be being a chef. Your version of help could be being a marketing director. Mm. And to me, it's about not only using your specific gifts and talents, but getting behind an organization, whether it's starting your own yeah. or going with an organization where you deeply believe in what they're doing. And yeah. where their profits go shouldn't matter to you. And yes. that's really the difference between for-profit and non-profit, right? It's just where the profits go. Because to me, I, back to I can control yeah. myself, I want to make a deeper impact in my community. Yeah. So if I get the opportunity to work for, I'm just using a grandiose example here, Google. Yeah. And that means I have more money to actually make a deeper impact in my community. And I'm using my Absolutely. specific gifts and talents. So I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I was curious what your thoughts were, if, if that's what you hear as well, where when you say bring your soul to work and all these people are like, oh, this is such an amazing message. I'm going to go, you know, save the whales or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I, what I always say, because um, I, I do the keynote speaking as well, and, and I always say from the stage, I always say you, don't, you shouldn't have to and you don't have to go work for a charity to be charitable. Yes. Um, that's the idea, right? That, um, but, but then practically, how does that look? And, and I, I do workshops and, and work with groups of people and individuals as well to identify and help them identify what that looks like then. Because it's one thing to have a theory around that and a philosophy that I, that I wholly believe in. Um, but I, I spent over 20 years in nonprofit work. I was a pastor. I started preaching when I was 15 years old. I did the whole like pastoring thing, um, very unconventional, non-traditional pastor. So I even got like this tattoo on stage while I was speaking in church. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. So, so very different style of like <laughs> what that looked like, but for, for me, having spent all that time in nonprofit work and missional, it was very much charity, charitable work. It was 
meaningful, fulfilling. We were going, you know, door to door, helping people, not like trying to convert them to some religion, but really helping people like, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you need in your backyard? Like, can we help, you know, mow the yard, clean up the, you know, whatever it was, very practical, Mm -hmm. livable ways that are not in contrast to doing work every day. We don't have to, um, you know, check our soul at the door of our workplace, which again, right now is home, but whatever that looks like, we don't have to check our soul at the door and walk in and be someone different. We could really fully bring our soul in. So, so how do we get there? How do we identify what that looks like? And, and I asked three questions to teams and I do this from the stage. I do it in workshops. I do it individually. So if we were working together, Emily, and you were to say, all right, but how do I, how do I identify what that is? I would have you answer three questions. Okay. All right. The first question I would ask you is what do you do every day for work? And how would you describe that to an eight-year-old? Oh, All right. So interesting. I love now, that. Yeah. So you can't use business jargon. You can't use, you can't describe your products or your service. I want very, like you're walking into a classroom with a bunch of eight-year-olds and you're going to say, this is what I do every day. And you're going to explain it in one sentence and they're going to get it. So an example of that would be, I, I spoke to uh, hotel chain owners uh, with Choice Hotels, and I spoke to all of them, and, and they collectively came up with the answer that we, we give people a home away from home. Oh, that's, that's nice. Do, right? yeah. so, it's, so usually when people answer that, there's, you can find some form of meaning in that, in that answer. Now, that's the first question. The second question that I ask that you answer is, if, if I were Bill Gates and had billions of dollars and we met, Emily, and you said to me that this is what I do for a living and you explained it to me like you would an eight-year-old and I was so inspired by what you said that I just offered to give you an unlimited resource of money to serve what you do every day, but it had to serve the world in some way. So this is, this is where you get to the question that you asked. I want you with unlimited resources start a nonprofit, okay? What would that nonprofit be? And so for some of your clients, my answer, I want to go save whales. I want to, you, know, yeah. um, you know, if I had a billion dollars, two billion, 10 billion, someone asked me for a hundred billion, they were like, I would turn every prison into a university. And there would be classrooms you know, and, and life coaches and professors going into universities and all of the prisons would be universities. And so if they had a hundred billion dollars, that's what they would do. So you have to think really big. This is like big, grandiose idea. And this allows people to, um, to really think bigger than their current resource. However, the third question comes back to the lens of fact, and that's reality that once you describe what you would do with unlimited resource that serves your first answer to that question on, you know, describe to an eight year old, how it serves the world. What (laughs) nonprofit would you start with unlimited resource? The third question is, all right, since you don't have unlimited resource and time and you do have a job and all of that, and you don't have time to start a nonprofit, what resources do you have? What time connections, um, finances, whatever that resource looks like, what resource do you have that can serve your first two answers? Mm-hmm. What you do, what you do um, as a business or as an individual for work, what you would start as a nonprofit with unlimited resource, what good could you do with what you have that serves both of those answers? And it's like, you know, it takes a little bit of work with people to get that third answer, but that's an easy path toward discovering what can I do every single day with the resource that I do have that can, that can tie into what I'm already doing at work. Cause I always say, look, you know, do what you love. And I believe that, but also do what you do every day with love. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's how we can get out of the mindset of, but all I love to do is play guitar and travel and you know, I want to be in a band. That's awesome. Um, but if you have a family and you have kids and, and you know, you're a you know, a mom or a dad, 
that's awesome. You want to grab a guitar and travel the world and play. But again, th through the lens of fact, then add faith. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Faith is not jumping off the side of a cliff and hoping that you grow wings on the way down. Faith is like having a strategic plan involved in what are my next steps and how am I going to tie purpose into what I do every single day. And you can do that as an individual. You can do that as a business. That's that, Those are the three questions I ask. There's other additional things that we work on, but those are the three questions I ask multi-billion dollar companies and executive teams. And those are the best people to ask those to because sometimes yeah. they're too far removed from what they do because they're not touching the actual customers, right? Yeah. They've gotten in this whole, you know, we've got to make sure we're on our earnings calls and we're, you know, reporting the right things and they forget that sometimes. Yeah. And I honestly, I, I do something similar with, with people and it's amazing how many people have forgotten that. And there's, mm -hmm. I love your reverse engineering of that because it isn't something big. It isn't the Bill Gates, you know, donation of money. It's this small little thing. You can start a movement yes. in your school, in your business, in whatever it is. And it also doesn't matter where you are in an organization. You know, mm -hmm. you could be, I've seen some amazing entry-level people start movements, you yes. know, Hey, let's do a recycling program. Hey, let's do this. And then it catches wild, you know, like wildfire. And it's amazing to see. So that's the other thing. Cause I feel like those are the excuses that people mm -hmm. give themselves, you know, yeah. to why they're not doing it. They don't have money and time. Always those two, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have any money. I don't have any time. Sure. Uh, and then also I'm not in the right place. Position, it, title, rank. Mm -hmm. I'm not the decision maker. And I always say, well, when I started Culture of Good seven years ago in, in the company uh, called TCC, it was the largest Verizon retailer in the country at that time. I was, for two years, they hired me as a part-time employee. That's how I started the Culture of Good, part-time. Because I was still doing ministry. I was bivocational. So I was still running this church over here, and I launched Culture of Good, and it became a nationwide like became the book, build a culture of good. We have a 10 month solution that we walk companies and organizations through building a culture of good over 10 months. Um, we launched that for two years. I did that as a part-time employee. That wasn't, that wasn't me having, you know, a special title or position. I mean, you know, obviously you have to have leadership buy-in and eventually all of that starts to come about. But when I started it all, not all the executive team was like, yay, we're going to start, you know, giving back and doing good and, and going into communities and spending money. I remember the CFO was like, what are you doing hiring this guy to come in and do this work? And, and, uh, but it, it, it gave employees that were scattered across the country in stores, two or three in a store in the middle of Berwick, Pennsylvania, or, down in Atlanta, Georgia, we have stores in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, it gave them a sense of purpose beyond their everyday work and beyond just getting a paycheck. You know, it's paying people with purpose. It's giving people permission to bring their soul to work every day. And we can do that regardless of what type of business we're in. Um, manufacturing, I think of a company up in Northern Indiana called uh, Lippert Components. And they, they manufacture parts for, um, uh, for campers and RVs. I mean, I, I don't know another company on the earth that's out doing more good consistently through their employees um, than they are. I mean, it's constant. And with TCC, the work that we've done with, with TCC and, and other companies are starting to realize like, all right, this is what leadership with a soul looks like. This yeah. is what really having a heart, um, you know, every one of us wakes up every day, whether we do so consciously or unconsciously, wanting to know that we're important, wanting to know that our contribution matters, that our life has meaning beyond ourself. And, mm -hmm. and, and if we're going to spend, you know, half of our waking hours you know, or a third of our waking hours at, at work every day. I think it's a half, half of our waking hours is at work every day, right? 
something mm -hmm. like that, or a third, eight hours, nine. Yeah. So we're spending so much time at work. What an amazing opportunity to really tie purpose into what we do as a business every day. And that, that to me is a differentiator when we're talking about recruiting, retaining the best people, you know, when we're, um, I, I always say you're, you're not going to find the best people. The best people are going to find you. Yeah. That's what makes them the best. So everybody's out there like, how do we add this program in? How do we do? It's not, it's, it's like, what is the, what is the most special, uh, what's the most compelling reason that you could give me for working for you? And how are you telling that story really well? Um, and how is it showing your heart and your soul as a business? Because the best people are looking, not just for the biggest paycheck, they're looking for, you know, is this a place like you were talking about earlier that aligns with my values that, you know, that I'm going to show up to work every day knowing that I have a sense of purpose. So. Sorry for rambling, but that's kind of like, love it. I no, love no, this no. Stuff. Yeah. it was a purposeful ramble and it made sense. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It actually reminds me, I worked with this client again, back to the saving of the whales, except it was with dogs. They love mm -hmm. dog rescues. Yeah. And we did something similar to what you're talking about, reverse engineering it. This person was IT. They were all IT. And yeah. what's so amazing that this person does now is they actually implement they actually bring in systems into uh, shelters and vet clinics and implement this new technology so that the animals get the care they need. Um, and it's, it's this, you know, it's, it's vet technology basically making sure that there aren't drug interactions and all this other thing. And this person is now living their purpose because they're able to take their skills yes. and marry it with, you know, saving animals lives and bringing quality of life to animals. And it's one of my most favorite examples because I just feel like, you know, on a daily basis, if you ask that person what they do, they're mm. going to tell you, I save animals. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, you do. Because right. that's, we need that skill. You know, yes. you don't, everybody on earth doesn't need to be a vet. Everybody on earth doesn't need to be a doctor. We need people supporting that. And finding that right purpose in each role. And one of my favorite things, and I know you know this, is um, when Kennedy was in office and he mm -hmm. toured NASA and mm -hmm. he went over to a janitor and he said, hey, what do you do here? And he said, I'm putting a man on the moon. Yes. And I was like, yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And we yeah. each have our way and we each have our man on the moon um, that we're doing. But mm -hmm. I just, I love that so much. And I, I wish more people were that connected to work. And you're right, it starts with those leaders because if the leaders aren't connecting passion and purpose with the vision of the organization, then it's like, what are you doing all day? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the biggest gap. Everyone always asks, like, what's the biggest obstacle with culture of good and the work that, that you do? And I, I always tell them it's it really comes down to leadership buy-in, you know, in terms of the having the type of good that can happen on an enterprise type level where everyone collectively is doing good. Now the individual um, obstacles come down to what you were talking about. You know, like I don't, I don't have this. I don't have that. I always go back to mother Teresa's quote. If you can't feed a hundred feed one. Yes. 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 You know, and it's, that's what it is, right? Like it's, it's, um, there's, there's, um, the idea that if we're going to do good, it has to be world changing. Um, but I, but I think that that is world changing for that one person, you know, that's, that's a massive opportunity that we have. And, and, and all we have to do, Emily, is look back on our life and see that coach or that teacher or that boss that went out of their way. Maybe it was just for one day, went out of their way, um, in that season of our life where we needed someone to show up for us and it made our world different. So it was world changing, you know, and I think we're all world changers. I don't think that you have to be, you know, running the, the Gates Foundation in order to be world changing. I think it, it just is looking back and being what someone was for us, being present mm -hmm. and staying present you know, being willing to be in the good, bad, and ugly 
of life with someone else. You know, for me, it was a teacher when I was six and I lost my mom, had um, died from suicide after uh, dealing with schizophrenia and mental illness. And then my dad was a heroin addict. I had a teacher come in and, and really was just present for me during that time. And, um, and because of that teacher, who I had totally forgot about till 30 years later was re reintroduced back into my life. You know, her three words that she kept saying to me was, Ryan, I just want you to know that you may have thought all these years that you were alone. And cause I didn't remember who she was. And 30 years later, she came back and she said three words. She just said, I was there. I was there. Um, that's leadership, right? Legacy leadership is all about being there, just being present wherever you are, be there, you know, <laughs> wherever you find your feet, be in that space. And, and that means showing up for people. And, you know, that goes back to what we started talking about. Um, what leadership looks like right now is, is being present, is showing up, um, is being vulnerable, is being kind, is being caring, is being all those things that maybe five years ago we would have called soft skills. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, they're hard for most, if you know, or, or some leaders to, to grapple with and wrestle with um, because we're told in order to be a leader, we have to show ourselves to be strong and mighty and stoic. You know, on stoic. Is uh, stoic yeah, on top of everything and everybody and follow me, we're going to go, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this together. Um, but, um, but the longer you live and the more experiences that you have, you appreciate what you mentioned earlier. You appreciate the answer from that janitor mm -hmm. um, because there's something to every single one of us matter uh, to, um, to what, impact we can have on other people's lives in a huge way but it's sometimes just grabbing a broom and it's getting to work but it's doing it with your with your soul you know i love that and i so Brene brown did this thing uh she posted about her family mission it's like her family mission statement i'm, I'm totally butchering this but it's like their family mantra and i realized that my family needed something but my coworkers, this is when I was in corporate America, needed that too. And what my head keeps wrapping it around, I'm a kid that was born in the 80s, uh, 90s kid kind of thing. And um, Captain Planet was big. I don't know if yeah. you know who Captain Planet is, but these like five that. kids get these rings and they all put them together. Wind, water, earth, art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Planet, right? And yeah. I realized all of us are Captain Planet, right? Like we are running an organization, a team, and you've got to find all those people that create this amazing magic together and that no one person can do it alone. Yeah. And so even with my own children, my daughter's dyslexic. And so mm. she has fought for a while. Um, this made me so sad the other day. She said, uh, you know, being home, seeing all these things, uh, but she has a power goal for reading mm. and she, has it written down at school but i said what is your power goal and she said to me to be like everyone else and i was like oh hell no that is not a power goal right that is, that is right. no not in this house not ever and so we talked about what it was that she brought to the table hmm. and because she is dyslexic she has the most astute you know thoughts about others because she's such an observer you know, and I'm like, that's going to serve you so well. And so in our house, that's what she does. She gives us this great observation of life that is so perfect. And our son, who is five, is our, our comedy relief. You know, we have laughed oh, yeah, so yeah. during this, you know, and then my husband is, he is so um, goal oriented and so strong in terms of you know, um, consistent, you know, he's very consistent, which I love. And so our family, we all have these unique gifts. And when I was in the corporate world, yeah. I had a team that was similar where there was this guy that could crunch numbers. Like it was nobody's business. Like he ate them, you know, for breakfast. And then yeah. I had somebody else on my team that was amazing with our clients, made them feel special and heard and 
and thoughtful and all these things. And then, you know, I had other members of the team and each of them had these own little gifts. And I made sure when we had our meetings that we talked about those gifts, you know, and what they were doing. And what I found when I did that Captain Planet mentality is what I keep calling it, was that one, there were no favorites because no gift was better than anybody else's, right? But when another member of the team had something that wasn't going right, maybe with their client, they didn't come to me. They went to the other member on the team that they knew was really strong in that area and they would lift each other up. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is magic. So I, I feel like when you see that purpose and you value your gifts and your strengths, and then you see how it can help others. Oh, that's where the magic happens, you know? It, yeah, that, that is the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old is your daughter? She's eight. She's eight She's tomorrow. Eight. So there's a really, have you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath? Oh, my friend. Yes. My brother okay. is also dyslexic. So Okay, cool. All right. Um, so, my <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's a good one. My brother's the senior director of Major League Baseball of Data Sciences for MLB.com. Okay. So he came way out of it, right? Like he, he's, because, yeah. you know, they talk about uh, there's a, a lot of those people that are in prison. There's a lot of those people that are in dark places that are drug mm-hmm. addicts and all these other things. And then there's this other group of people that rise above and do all yes. these amazing things. And what's the difference, right? Yeah. And I feel like that difference is talking about you're different and this yep. is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So special. Yeah. And she works so hard and I keep telling her like girlfriend consistency and yep. and work it will always serve you. You know, yes. again, bet on yourself. And so, you know, there's a part of me that, you know, it, how much of it is she listening to? because I'm her mom, but um, I'm sure your kids are kind of the same way. Although what you said earlier gave me hope because your children called you and said, thank you. You know, know. thank you for teaching me this. What a gift that is. And then where were you when they were born in this whole movement? What were you and your wife doing when they were born? Um, Well, we, um, when our oldest was born, so when I met my wife, she uh, had a daughter already and I adopted her. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so she was only a couple years old when uh, I met Katara. And um, that's our 27-year-old, Bria. And so we were, we were in a situation where we you know, had a mattress on the floor in our bedroom and hardly any money coming in you know, um, young, I was only 20 years old. My wife was uh, is a few years older than I am. And we were, you know, like young families with no plan on how we were going to survive, but we knew we wanted to have another daughter or, or another child with right. where it wasn't going to be too many years in between. And so, um, we had our, our youngest daughter, uh, about a year after we got married. So we had two daughters, family, I was 21 years old and, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Um, But we also were, you know, very involved in community work and and our girls grew up seeing us um, and not just seeing us, but being involved in, you know, real life of people that were hurting and broken and 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 we were as well. We were a struggling family, but we never used that as an opportunity to say we shouldn't give back. And so, you know, we we had a family culture of giving back and doing good. Um, but we were in a just a small town where I had grown up, where I'd lost my mom when I was younger, and moved had moved to New York and Indianapolis and back to my small little town to make an impact on that same community so our girls kind of grew up in that culture of of doing good giving back and being passionate about what they do that's not the culture you created the culture you created was possibility yeah you showed them possibility yeah and that's why right now all they're seeing is possibility because yeah. for you it was never what you didn't have it was what was possible yeah oh my god i love that how beautiful yeah, having having her call and just say that was really powerful. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then also coming from the background that you did, you know, reading about lives and how people can either come out of places where you did and they completely change. My husband had a, <clears throat> not a, not the same as you, but very similar upbringing. He is very similar to you in the fact that he's living completely different life. Mm-hmm. What was that for you? Was that ever a choice? I mean, did you ever? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I always, you know, from early on, about a year after I lost my mom, my dad, that was a real uh, transformative year for him. So he was able to get off drugs and remarry within the year. And that's what really led me into kind of that church work, because that's where he found his kind of salvation from the drug addiction and all that life. And so I just followed along in his footsteps. You know, I, I, went from having all of that um, tragedy to almost overnight kind of a shift toward like growing up in a family, not perfect by any means, but we were the type of family I was giving back and doing good in local community. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so I saw that kind of lived out, but for me as a, as a young child, I started asking myself, you know, more adult questions early on about purpose and my own pain and what I was going through. And I, you know, I've, I've heard it said before, this isn't original to me at all, but you know, our purpose comes from a place of passion that's innate within us. But that passion comes from um, a sense of compassion for others and, and where we feel that compassion usually is tied into what we've come past ourselves. And so for me, it's, it's very much tied into, you know, what did I go through? What have I come past? And, and how can I live compassionately for others, which leads to passion. And, and so, you know, I felt that sense of calling and purpose really early on because of asking adult questions as a child and so I really never I never looked back in terms of like you know what what should I do now how should I give back it was always this sense of like just just do like I tell people all the time like they're like well what what do we do I said do something like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. get involved in something like give back volunteer you know when you hear about an opportunity regardless of what it is, whether, you know, we, we can get into the methodology of how to connect it into, into your work and all that. But ultimately you, you, you don't like find your purpose and destiny and what you're supposed to do in life by sitting back and, and, you know, writing ideas on a piece of paper, you find it by getting involved, like getting the dirt of the world under your fingertip nails, you know, like actually, making an impact and through doing that work it's revealed it's like you know you're on a journey and the adventure of life is really that is continuing to see where you can meet a need i had a mentor when i was 16 years old that said ryan the need is the call like if you if you are called wherever you see a need and it doesn't mean that we can meet every need in the world but again, back to, do I have the resource and, and, you know, can I, you know, with what I have, where I'm at and who I am in the moment that I'm in, like, how do I give back when I see a need? And we're seeing that today, you know, with, you know, bottling companies and alcohol companies starting to make hand sanitizer. And now they're bottling that in their bottles and they're you know, retooling what they do mm-hmm. with what they already have. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But for me personally, it was all, you know, it's, it's been a passion of mine since I was younger to do this type of work. I love that. And, you know, I honestly, I truly believe that we all have that, but sometimes we let comfort get in the way. And what you just told me was there wasn't really comfort, right? There wasn't that comfortable place that you were in you had to create your own comfort zone in a way, you know, and it was living yeah. your purpose. And I yeah. think a lot of people don't, they think that, okay, well, I should be happy, you know, because I yeah. make a decent living. I have health benefits. I shouldn't rock the boat because everything is good. Right. I, I don't know about you, but I do not like good. 
you know, like good is kind of like, okay, you know, right, right. and, and, you know, being able to kind of look past that and get a little uncomfortable, that is so hard. And I think that, you know, that's what a lot of people, especially like middle-class people really suffer from is mediocrity because they're in this place. That's almost, I call it golden handcuffs, you know, where they're, they're stuck in this idea of, but everything's good. I have this, like what everybody else wants, you know? And I don't know about you, but I've realized I don't want what everybody else has. I don't know by any stretch of the imagination. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think it goes back to just really taking pause um, and, and reevaluating what, what matters most to us. And, and honestly, we have to say what, what are our personal values? That's part of that self-leadership that we started talking about at the beginning of the conversation is, you know, I might be able to recite, name off some of the values of the organization that I'm leading um, or the company that I work for. But if I were to, you know, if I were to ask what are, or be asked, what are my personal values? Do I, do I have those? And do I know them? And, and am I living those out? And if, if the value is just security, you know, and not rocking the boat, you know, I think ultimately what, what it really comes down to, Emily, is that we do live our values. You know, values aren't, aren't things that we say we value or we hope or aspire to be one day. Values are who we are, how we live, what we prioritize already. Um, I and so, agree with you on that, yeah. Yeah, so... I, I could get into hours of that conversation. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so fun and I love, I just love your style. I love everything that you represent. And honestly, when I started my business, which was three years ago, next month, it wasn't that long ago. I found you stumbled upon your work and was like, yes. And oh I feel God. like there couldn't be, I, mean, I just feel like we all need this in our lives and there need to be more game changers out there. And bringing your soul to work is so incredibly important. And I want everybody to be able to follow you, find you. So where is the best place for people to find you? Yeah. um, The two social platforms I use are LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn more than anything. So if if someone wants to get a hold of me, um, unfortunately, I'm McCarty Ryan on LinkedIn, not Ryan McCarty. But if if you put in McCarty Ryan and search for one of the Ryan McCarty's with the beard. I'm sure I'll pop up at some point. That's probably the, the well, easiest way. I'll link, I'll link up your LinkedIn profile in okay, the show cool. notes so people can easily find you. So it's not so confusing, awesome. but yeah, you yeah. have a really cool beard. So just awesome. everybody, Thank everybody you. needs to know that. <laughs> it's, it's changed over the years. It used, it used to be um, a, a lot longer, but I've, I've, since tamed it and it's it's a little more in control now which is nice (laughs) well that's good easier to manage yeah yeah Yeah. I I don't need anything else I need to take care of other than me and a beard is a lot so I'm just like nah I'll just go short with it so I get that having curly hair I learned a long time ago if I straighten my hair it takes me like hours and it looks awful and, <laughs> and this takes five minutes so That's I'm like awesome. I'm just gonna yeah. let it be it's just gonna work. yeah yeah so. it's great yeah perfect that's awesome. awesome so well I have so enjoyed this I could talk to you all day you breathe so okay. much fire and excitement and um I'm just I don't know you you gave me a lot of possibility today because thank you it's, it's just awesome to hear somebody that leads the way that you do. And um, by the way, I didn't even talk about how I even got this opportunity to speak to you today. And I feel like it's called, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, which is Ryan reached out on social media, just saying on LinkedIn, Hey, I, my speaking isn't happening right now. So if anybody has a podcast or something where I can join an interview and I was like, Whoa, gold, I won the lottery. And um, he immediately got back and was like, what about next week? And I'm like, yes, we are going to make this happen. So I love this. Like I won the COVID-19 lottery today and I am so happy for it. So thank you you so so much. much. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I'm the winner. So thank you for reaching out. And seriously, I, 
I appreciate the opportunity. These are conversations I love having. It's close to what I'm passionate about. So I appreciate the opportunity. And it was great to meet you. Yeah, it was great meeting with you too. And um, I can't wait for my listeners to find out more about you. So have a great day. You too. Did you love what you heard today? And you want more? Sign up for my weekly email in the show notes. It's packed with tips and tricks to lead and love your life. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by typing in Emily Hawkins, the number four, the letter U. I'll see you here next week.